Okay, welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Kelsey Zeiser. I'm a senior editor at Light Reading. Hey, Kelsey, it's Jeff Baumgartner, senior editor at Light Reading. Hi, Jeff and Kelsey. This is Jim Fagan, uh, Chief Strategy and Revenue Officer at Global Cloud Exchange, GCX. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Jim. Uh, tell us a little bit about your role at uh, Global Cloud Exchange and just a little background on the company. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I head up our strategy group, which is uh, basically looking at all of our subsea investments and managed service investments, as well as uh, head of all commercial operations uh, for GCX uh, on a global basis. Um, so GCX has uh, undergone quite a journey in the last three years. Uh, in 20, it, up until 2019, it was part of Reliance Communications out of India, um, and it was its international um, arm and really consisted of two businesses. Um, our asset-heavy subsea cable network, which is the largest private cable system um, owned and operated in the world with about 66,000 kilometers. We operate from the U.S. to Europe, uh, Europe into the Suez, which goes into the Middle East and into India. And then we have a intra-Asia loop cable in serving Hong Kong, Japan, Korea, and Taiwan. And a managed service business, uh, particularly strong um, out of the uh, European region um, with with a strong clientele of um, hospitality and retail customers. So in 2019, Arcom uh, in India um, went into receivership. Uh, GCX was spun off independently um, into Chapter 11, uh, re-emerged in early 2020 uh, with a new management team with Carl Grivner, who's the uh, former CEO of Colt um, as the CEO. I've been part of that team. Um, in the last couple of years, we've uh, been able to successfully turn around the business, uh, get us back on the uh, path to profitability and growth. And most excitedly for us is we were acquired um, with the acquisition closing on September 2nd of this year by 3i Infrastructure, which is a private equity firm publicly traded out of the UK, um, who's really looking to have GCX be the platform uh, to grow the subsea business as well as manage service offerings um, and really take advantage of this explosion of data around the world. So it's quite an exciting time to be at GCX. Yeah, and um, tell us a little bit uh, more about who some of your customers are. Sure. So again, it's uh, it's kind of I look at it as kind of a wholesale business, so to speak, and, and a retail business. With the wholesale being more on the subsea side, and the uh, retail on our managed services. So on the subsea side, um, we deal a lot with the uh, big hyperscalers. So your Google, Amazon, Facebook, Microsofts. Um, also, if you look at that breadth of the cable system we have and all the countries we land in, which is over 20 countries, we have a deep relationship with the local carriers in those regions, both for onward connectivity on the subsea, but also to serve their international capacity. Um, and then another area which we've seen a tremendous amount of growth is kind of in that media and gaming and as a service space um, as that's gone with those companies looking to go global, make sure they have international connectivity. And on the uh, enterprise side, as I mentioned, um, Hospitality and retail. Um, we have a couple of big hotel chains where we supply their uh, global connectivity, as well as um, you know some some retail organizations throughout Europe um, and uh, and Asia, um, where we uh, support uh, support their stores, their endpoints, their warehouses with connectivity and managed network services. Right. I had a quick question on managed services. Right. You you had mentioned that, and is it primarily? Um, connectivity related or are there other aspects to it? You, know, you mentioned gaming, right? And uh, yeah. when you think about gamers, latency is important and so forth. But uh, yeah. I was curious, kind of like get a feel of the the portfolio kind of beyond the raw connectivity yeah. capacity side. Yeah. No, great, great question, Jeff. And um, yeah, so I think if you look at it, um, traditionally our managed service business um, 
is really the uh, came from a business for those familiar in the space called Vanco, um, which is a business that um, Alliance acquired in the late uh, 2000s. And that is, it has been historically up to this point, traditionally managed network services. So, so really connectivity, um, more enterprise kind of campus sites um, focused. Uh, we are expanding that now um, with this uh, reinvigoration of the business, with this investment from 3i, where we are looking to expand that into a much broader push in the um, hybrid cloud connectivity options, um, as well as security services and, uh, and, um, and basically transferring of data. Um, back to the gaming aspect, that is interesting because latency is important. So what we see with a lot of the gaming type companies, media companies, is we end up typically serving them off of our sub C side uh, because they're very particular on usually wanting to get layer one type connectivity to ensure the most, uh, you know, kind of the, the lowest latency paths, something that they can control. But one of the strengths of GCX where we have been able to help them and um, I call almost bespoke managed services and not part of our core offering is if you look at the Middle East at the moment, um, massive amount of growth. A lot of the hyperscalers are putting data centers there. If you look at the demographics, it fits very well into uh, gaming and media as well as what's growing. But a lot of these providers have never, um, of gaming providers, companies have never actually established services in those areas before. So it's new to them. And so they're smaller footprints to start. So we'll work with those local telecom providers that I mentioned to make sure that we can get them that local connectivity, kind of bundle that in a turnkey, if there's a need, for instance, to get a rack and a pop, for instance, so they could actually put a little bit of their infrastructure in, to put some of their equipment, we help with that. So that's a bit of a managed service light, in particular use cases we put in for our uh, subsea customers. And I think that's one of the benefits of GCX. I haven't operated in these areas of the world in these deep relationships for over 20 years. A lot of it's not just about the technology we bring, but the relationships and the ability to kind of put together these solutions and make it for a one-stop shop for people who are expanding their business across the globe. All right, good. And then, um, you know, one thing you, you had mentioned, you know, a lot of activity happening in the early part of 2020. You know, one thing we've always kind of kept an eye on, or we, we tried to, particularly in the early stages of the pandemic, was kind of the uh, the impact uh, that the pandemic had on data, you know, and, and usage. And But a lot of our focus was kind of on the, the access network yep. related to, hey, what's what's happening with Tell you know customers of telcos and, and cable operators that were working and schooling from home. Uh, yeah, I was kind of curious, kind of what you know, what kind of impact did the, the pandemic have on on your business? Was it was it more about uh, was it connectivity related, uh, uh, capacity, and so forth, or were there other areas that that, that had an effect? Uh, for us, it was really just uh, capacity related. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, kind of in that. You know, March, April of 2020 on for the next six months, we had a, uh, and particularly if you think about our wholesale business and those customers that we were supporting or supporting those end customers, you know, we had a big spike um, in capacity demand uh, for, the, for that six months. Uh, but then the growth curve slowed after those six months, but we never dipped, right? It was never, we never really hit the spot where people were just holding and waiting We've seen this incremental stair step of growth, and, and that's been continuous. And then particularly, again, I think as uh, some of these applications and the as-a-service and everyone pushing in the cloud, this has kind of pushed a lot of those services, as I mentioned, globally. So that that push of you know really kind of getting you know more connectivity, particularly as you start doing video content, gaming, other stuff into Asia-Pacific, into the Middle East, into areas where you have strength from kind of the Europe-US hubs, 
has really continued to drive that traffic profile for us. So we, we saw that big spike. Um, you know, there was obviously some thought that, hey, maybe everyone just bought ahead for two or three years um, and they're done. So the, the growth rates has slowed a bit. Um, mm-hmm. But we're still seeing we're still seeing consistent growth. And for us, you know, with the I guess the uh, you know, with the, the tough times GCX went through in the 2018-19 period, you know, for us, we kind of missed out on some demand to be very straightforward. And, and now we're kind of making that back up as we've reestablished ourselves in market, reestablished our credibility. And we've also put a really big push on, you know, how we're used as solutions. So if a customer does have a primary path in the Middle East, for instance, that's not us. We've seen now because of this, because of these trends that have been driven out of the COVID pandemic, um, we've seen a lot of more thinking from companies across the board around their resiliency and their redundancy strategy and their willingness to pay for that. Because uh, so that's also driven that increase in demand that we've seen um, uh, across the board for us over the last couple of years. Are you seeing, uh, you touched on this a bit, but are you seeing certain uh, regions where a lot of growth is happening and uh, how are you utilizing some partnerships to address that? I saw an announcement back from March with Equinix, for example. Yeah. So the Middle East, like I mentioned, is just becoming a a really big hub. And, you know, if you've looked at any of the announcements from Amazon, Microsoft, Google, et cetera, um, you know, they're putting availability zones um, and multiple availability zones um, in that region. I think Oracle's also another one, for instance, doing a, a massive push there. Um, and then, you know, traditionally, that was, you know, that that was kind of an underserved market. So there's um, there's need for, and you'll and you'll notice also, and we can talk about this on uh, kind of new investments. There's been a lot of announcements over the last 24 months of new cables going into that region, um, and those will happen over the next three to four years. And it's it's a positive for the region. We think it'll be a positive for GCX as well. But in the interim right now, it's it's how do they get differentiated solutions? So, you know, Equinix came in and established their um, Equinix facility in Musket and in, uh, in uh, Oman to kind of become one of those hubs. So for interconnectivity to help branch to the region. So we've obviously made that one of our interconnection hubs. It gives us an access to a lot of different other networks coming in, in and to and out of whether it's subsea and terrestrial. But I think one of the neat things we've done is... You know, we introduced two uh, two new routes um, last year um, that was in partnership. So we have our subsea cable, which touches on every country in the Persian Gulf, and then uh, you know goes back out, goes to Egypt, and goes up to Europe. So we were able to work with um, partners that we had in Iraq, uh, Kuwait, and Turkey, and we created a, a fully redundant terrestrial route that incorporates our subsea that goes from the Gulf through Turkey um, up to Sofia and Frankfurt. And it's actually the lowest latent path now out of the Middle East. And so we've been able to offer that as turnkey, assure that turnkey for our customers. And now we're giving them multiple routes. So it's not only just using our assets, it's using our assets and where they interconnect and our relationships to kind of build these solutions for customers. So that's the way we see it as a way, <clears throat> excuse me, as a way not only to differentiate GCX, but just to give the customers the diversity they need. And the other route we we created was what we call our MedEx route, which again, cuts through Saudi Arabia. Um, it goes up through Israel and then out through Cyprus um, on, on our cable system um, back into Europe. So we're able to put these differing routes together for customers to meet those resiliency, redundancy demands. But more importantly, you know, it, it's there is, if you actually look at the architecture of that and the partnership, if someone was out to do that on their own, they'd be working with three separate carriers. They'd have to kind of figure out how to interconnect it, how to assure it. And we've been able to kind of leverage our partnerships with those deep relationships we have with some of those carriers to kind of form these turnkey solutions. Yeah, I was kind of curious when, you, when you're talking about establishing new routes, right? And, and you're talking about multiple countries, um, you know, I think in the uh, here in uh, 
on the land <laughs> when you're yep. talking about getting routes, you know, and, and rights of way and so forth, uh, you know, we're pretty familiar with that. And what, what, how complicated is it from the, uh, the subsea side? Because, uh, you know, obviously some areas are close to particular countries, but there's got to be like international waters. You know, I, I, I'm just kind of curious Absolutely. how complicated it is, you know? Yeah. Jeff, are you yeah. worried about yeah. subsea cable pirates? Or? Uh, big time. <laughs> big time. Or maybe I'll like become one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not touching that topic. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, you just mentioned international waters, so I had to throw yeah, that Yeah, no, so, but actually it is, right? So it's interesting. If you yeah. look at the process of, uh, and this is why, yeah. you know, it is, um, you know, these cable investments are, are so important. If you look at the ecosystem, the backbone between international connectivity, uh, because they do carry, I want to say it's still 95% of uh, the global, you know, the uh, international capacity Um Globally, you know, satellite system, as much as they've, you know, come along with Starlink and everything else, they're still not at that way from a technology cost perspective to kind of supplant um, subsea cables. But that's where the difficulty comes in. Or, you know, I mean, there's in a lot of the countries have set rules, but is a process as it should be. Right. So if you think about someone has to be a landing party and there's different rights on who can be a landing party in each country. Some, you know, it has to be the local telco. Some are open landing stations where people can come and get licenses. So that will depend on it. And then there's a permitting aspect within those international waters of that country. And then obviously that's going to, you know, particularly entail, you know, marine surveys and environmental studies to make sure you're not doing damage on the international standpoint, you know, it's pretty much uh, free and clear, but Mm. then there is um, certain things where you have to go register where the routes are. If it goes through Anchorage, they have to go on different maps. So people know about it. And so it is, it's a bit of a complex process. I mean, you know, fortunately now, if you look at it, especially on the major routes, most of them have a cable landing station or two. There is, you know, established rules and regulations in those countries that's going through the process. But if you really do look at it from kind of, you know, conception to a cable going in the water and being done and completed, it's about five to seven years. And you're talking okay. multi hundred million dollar investments that then are designed to last for 25 to 35 years. So if you start getting delays and backups in the system, which you are starting to see some due to the supply chain issues, you can see an area where certain you know areas of the world could end up being a bit constrained on capacity mm-hmm. um, and have certain bottlenecks in the next two to three, four years. So it's uh, it's an interesting time to be in the space because there's a lot of investment and needed investment, but there's also a lot of challenges with some of the supply chain issues, some of the other things going on. And now if we're going to go into a bit of a global slowdown, does that slow down the investment curves? So I think it's going to be a really fascinating space to be operating in um, over the next uh, 24, 36 months. Yeah. Are there certain um, technologies uh, with subsea, subsea cable systems that you're, you know, really excited about in the coming years? I mean, you mentioned that these, these systems have to last decades. Yeah. So uh, what, what is on the horizon there? Yeah. So there's a couple of things and, and this is where I'll step out of my, um, my zone of touch. And if my CTO listens to this, he'll probably yell at me and tell me all the things I said wrong, but um, I will, uh, <laughs> I will, uh, I'll try to, I'll try to do my best, but you know, one of the big things that's come along in the last few years um, is a technology called SDM. Um, don't ask me again to get into the detail of it, but what it really is, is like, you know, Jeff, you mentioned about terrestrial on the land, right? I mean, you can basically shove, hundreds of fiber pairs into those ducts. Um, subsea doesn't work like that because you have to go these long distance and, and amplify and you can only put so many repeaters in over a certain period. So you know, these these systems used to be like five, six years ago, maybe six fiber pairs, say maybe 
10 terabits of fiber pair coming out. So that's 60 terabits. And then you're hopefully weighing on electronics and other aspects and advances to increase that technology over time. But that would require you kind of ripping out all the electronics at the end, putting new ones in every five to seven years. So what SDM's done, it's um, allowed some stuff on the repeating side of it. So now some of the, you know, the systems that you're seeing coming out, um, you know, depends on the distance and the length and how many hops, but, you know, a transatlantic or transpacific now, you're seeing cable systems that are coming out at 16, 24 fiber pairs at 20 terabits uh, per fiber pair. So it's a lot more capacity going in that lowers the kind of average cost per terabit um, overall when you, cause the ship's still going to cost the same amount of money to send it out, et cetera. So what you're seeing now is a bit of a, of a lower cost to build. You're seeing more capacity available, which allows more people like ourselves to be part of those new cable builds and share some of that cost, but have enough capacity and enough ownership to actually sell and make a profit and do that. So that's been a big, uh, you know, that's been a big change in kind of the economics of it. And I think if you look forward on it, you're seeing all these cables going in. And I think the one area where, you know, software defined networking is still in its infancy, it's still overall, I could say it's infancy, but also really on the layer one level. So the layer one level is still kind of about, you know, hooking up big pipes and just kind of doing them. But like, how do you start interconnecting some of these systems? How do you start kind of making them work into the meshes of the data center exchanges, like the Equinix exchanges, the megaports? And again, I think that you'll start to see that happen in three to five years again, as, um, as more and more customers are going to just kind of demand this seamless connectivity, whether it's from a data center in the middle of the United States to a data center in Indonesia, they're just going to want it to work. They're not going to want to have to put all the pieces of the puzzle together and they're going to want different resiliency and redundancy. So I think that's, that's some of the advancements you'll probably see in the next few years. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I think there, you kind of bring up a special challenge there is with kind of future proofing something like this, or, you know, you got to do a lot of modeling to kind of figure out you know, what to, what to put down there. The other, I always find that this aspect of the telecom market, you know, kind of fascinating with, with subsea cables. Um, you know, just quick, what do, I always think about, you know, once it's under underwater, it's deployed, you know, it's down there, right? So what are some of the kind of special challenges associated with operating that, you know, with, with monitoring and then if something needs fixed or repaired or looked at, I mean, that, that that's that's quite an undertaking, right? Yeah. So one, because, you know, back to future proofing, right? I mean, yeah. these things are built with a high level of, uh, you know, resiliency, redundancy on it. So when I when mm-hmm. you think about, you know, the, the cable itself is the cable and it's usually armored in certain places, particularly with shallow water, depends on where it's going to be on, you know, what type of armor it has or how thick it is. And, uh, you know, if it's going to float, if it's a different seabed, you know, and again, there's people who are just absolutely crazy expertise on that, that can, um, if you actually sat with them, it kind of blow your mind on the stuff on what they think about when they put these cables down. Right. And then, um, you know, there's the repeaters, right? That's what gets that energy and repeats or is able to repeat the light. You know, those things are designed to sit underwater for 30 years and work. Without, um, like occasionally, a, a some... shark can't come up and bite it. And, and uh, that one probably not. <laughs> a cable can, but the cable probably can, right? So if yeah, you look at the right. depending where, so then, so like the the base core infrastructure is built well. Does that does occasionally a repeater fail? Yes, it does, right? And it's like, mm-hmm. and then you at know, least we you have can pinpoint that, right? Yeah, yeah, you it, can repeat that, and then even when there's a cut, you can pinpoint yeah. it because there's okay. ways you measure where the kind of basically the light signal disappears, and you get it. And then basically those same ships that lay the cables, they're the repair ships. So we have contracts with them. They'll deploy. They have a bunch of extra cable. 
they actually have some of those spare repeaters with them in case it is a, an issue where they got to replace a repeater. And they basically go out and they pull it up. Um, they find out where it was cut if needed. They put an extra cable, they splice it, and they put it back in. You know, the issue that you have with that is, you know, the ship's got to sail somewhere. Sometimes these cuts are like a thousand kilometers away. Um, yeah. Then it takes time to do it. So, so when we have an event, which could be a cut, and usually if you see what happens, there's kind of, there's usually like two main causes for a cut. It's something usually in shallow water by, uh, by land that's um, kind of man-made, which for us usually is um, anchorage or uh, fishing where uh, nets sometimes, because sometimes even though they get buried in shallow water, over the years, sand shifts, you know, sometimes it just wasn't buried deep because it's bedrock and it gets exposed. Um, and then the other thing is that you get, which these are a little bit more away and in certain periods of the world, is um, actually legitimately like undersea earthquakes. So like in Asia, if there's a little event, they have what's called like these things called these turbidity slides where like the little underwater mountain starts sliding and if your cable's underneath it, it gets taken out. So it's just a bit of, so it's one of those things like that, those, and that's what, you know, those are kind of force majeure events, actually not kind of, they are. Yeah. So, you know, those, when they happen, they're in the contract and, you know, we try to get them repaired as quick as possible, but, you know, typically you're looking at, unless it's something really close in and you happen to have a ship available and everything's right there, you're looking at a good 30 days minimum to get one of these things repaired if it's a full cut. Interesting. Yeah. I was just kind of curious how that that aspect of the business comes together, right? In addition to the services and all the, uh, uh, you know, the good aspects, it's like, yeah, the other challenges are kind of interesting. Okay. Yeah. No, whenever, I, whenever I get an email that comes from our knock on a, on an alert <laughs> on our sub C, I hold my breath. Um, yeah. so oh, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those. <laughs> We're typically not just like, Hey Jim, how's it going? Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, but every now and then, but every, but every now and then you do it's like any telco network, right? Hey, you yeah. know what? We got a flap somewhere and we'll, you know, like it, but like the normal regular telco stuff. So yeah. it's just mm-hmm. the, the cuts of the big events. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I do remember a few months ago we, um, talked about that um one cable that got cut uh, because of the volcano and then it was a you know an issue of sometimes it moves because of you know you mentioned earthquakes and then you got to locate where did it move to and exactly. it sounds like a whole a whole thing yeah and that's where they have i mean again the technology is amazing right i mean that's where they have those little you know uh, what do you call those kind of remote operated submarine vehicles right they literally drop those things off the back and they go down mm. with the radar the sonar and they, they figure that stuff out. It's quite amazing, actually. Yeah, almost like a sci-fi movie. It's very yeah. cool. Yeah. Good deal. Well, Jim, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast and hope you can join us again in the near future. No, thanks. It was a really great to join and I enjoyed the discussion and um, have a great rest of the day. You too. Thanks, Jim. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Kelsey. Thanks, Kelsey.